0: Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossfit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. We've been praying about love. We've been praying about intimacy. Um... And I know that it is a real needed anointing because the first day we were here on Tuesday in the prayer and we were praying over a, a fear of intimacy. While we're not intimate, we're, not in, we're afraid of being re- truly intimately connected with other people, but we're also afraid of truly being intimately connected with God. And while I was praying it, something else just wrote, and I had, because our flesh does not like this so much, that I was in the middle of the prayer. I'm talking about I had been already been here two hours, and all of a sudden I find myself saying, "God, I don't want to pray this prayer anymore. I, I don't, I don't like this particular prayer that we're praying. I want to pray about something else. I want, I'm just taking the mask off and and." I told that's exactly what I told God. Now, I corrected myself real fast because I recognized, oh, that is my flesh. That's something in me. I need to get that out of me because I need a revelation on intimacy and love. Amen. We all need a revelation on intimacy and love. But I saw because it was such a difficult prayer to pray that um, that is incredibly important, it's because it's the call to this kind of supernatural love, the kind that Jesus had, costs me something. It's not a feeling, it's not a... Um, one day in prayer, recently I, we were talking and then I called it a, um, a convenient love is what most of Christianity has. We have convenient love. I'm not going to go out of my way for you, but if you show up at the same place I'm at, I'm going to hug you and smile and tell you how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. If, um, if I really, really like you, I may buy you a gift card on your birthday. Um, but probably only if you came to my kid's birthday party. I mean, <laughs> so we have a convenient love. We don't have the love that goes out after someone. That is, that love costs me something. Um, we don't like it, and, uh, and so much so that there's such a stigma attached to the love chapter of 1 Corinthians. that pastor was actually quoting out of this morning, even in prayer, 1 Corinthians 13, that most Christians, at least in the churches I was raised in, we would, the preachers would avoid it because people would just roll their eyes like, oh, here we go again, we're going to hear about love again. We all think we've heard this this chapter so many times, we all know what it says, we need to love people, love is kind, love is patient, all those things, and we don't even, to where we don't even pay attention to it anymore. But, God's going to give us a revelation on love out of this chapter today, amen? How many of us want a revelation on love? Amen. Okay. I'm just going to I'm going to start with just with just reading through it. It says 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is talking and he says though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove a mountain but I don't have love I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That is, I think, perhaps the most weighty three verses, maybe in the entire Bible. Because I see a few things there, I can operate in the gifts of God. I can give my life to God. I can serve God in the church. I can give all of my money until I'm broke. I can, I can even give my body to be burned for someone else. But if I'm not doing it out of love, it is absolutely worthless. And when we really begin to look and examine our motives and say, oh, my God, I do do all of these things, these things that we fill our life up with, things for God, things for the kingdom that we fill our life up with. I do all these things. But is it worth anything? Because did I do it because I love somebody or did I do it because it made me feel really good about myself? Because those are opposite if I'm self-seeking in something, it's the opposite of love because love is not self-seeking. And actually, goes on and tells us that in the next few verses, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, and it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And then it really gets into the difficult things because it says it bears all things. It believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. As, as we were praying over that, I realized, okay, so love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all Things now. If you have stolen from me two times, the third time, I'm not gonna trust you. I won't have trouble the second time, but the third time, we're done. We are done. Amen. If you've if you've lied to me a certain number of times, I'm gonna be done. If you are. Um, if i go out of my way to help you and you treat me ugly a few times i'm gonna be done i'm going how many of us have made up our mind that person is so ungrateful i'm just not i'll just go out of my way to help them i'm not going to help them again i'm not going to do it but love it endures all Things It bears all things. And it believes all things. So every time the person comes back and says, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again. Because Jesus believes us when we come back and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again. Thank God that Jesus believes us when we come back and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do it again. Because he believes us and he hopes with us that we are never going to do it again. We may go do it again, but when we come back again, he believes us when we say, God, forgive me, I'm never going to do it again. And he believes us, and he hopes with us, and he endures the battle with us. And if we lose the battle again, he believes us when we come back and say, God, forgive me, I'm never going to do it again. He believes us that we're never going to do it again. And he hopes with us that we'll never do it again. And he never quits because love never quits. It says three things endure forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is one of the only things that will endure forever. That means it keeps on going forever. And when I'm sick of you, when I'm sick of you, When you're sick of the people in your life that you're sick of, you know who they are when we're sick of them. Thank God God doesn't get sick of me, but thank God. But when I'm sick of them, and and they come back and they say, I'm so sorry I repent. I'm going to try my best. I'm never going to do it again. I'm I'm, I'm believing, I'm believing that this time I'm never going to do it again. I believe now we have wisdom. We have natural wisdom. You know, I don't put all my valuables out if they stole from me five times. But I believe that they're never going to steal again. I believe it with them. I hope with them. I'm, I'm with them. I joined up with them in it. Amen. And. And the secret to that is in the next few verses. Now, I've always because I've always heard it preached this way. Y'all, it is such a blessing to come to the Bible as an adult sometimes with fresh eyes and you just read it and it's just all wonderful and new. And to not have been taught dumb things your whole life that, that you have to find out later because you never thought about them, that you have to find out later we're wrong. Somebody told me this next part of the scripture was about the end times. And so I've never even looked at it to have anything to do with love. But it's right there with love. Paul never got off the subject of love. He's talking about love and he goes on and he's taught. Then he goes on to talk about how love is the more excellent gift and how you have to use love to get all the other gifts. He goes on. He's still teaching on love. So this is all about love. This isn't about the end times. Okay. He says love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, now that is about Jesus coming back, then that which is in part will be done away with. And then he says this, because I always thought this was part of the end times. When I was a child, I spoke as a child and I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That's about now. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Paul's teaching us here what maturity, spiritual maturity and love acts like in these scriptures. He's not talking about in the end times, I'm going to know everything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when I'm mature in love, I'm not going to see myself dimly anymore. I'm going to see myself the way other people see me. (coughs) Recently, um, I had a conversation with um, Adelaide about a person in our life who had disappointed her. And they were coming to visit. She didn't want to see him. Didn't want to. This person does could not possibly love her because they made choices that kept them away from her. Because that is the way children look at the world. It's black or it's white. It's simple. If you love me, then you're going to come be with me. If you love me, you're going to do whatever you need to do to have a relationship with me. And as I had to, I had to sit down and explain, you know... What we know as adults is that people love us. They do love us, but there's other things that operate. They can be afraid. They can. There's other fear. There's other things that operate that that make them not do the stuff they should do. But it doesn't mean they don't love you. You know that they can. They can be both. They can be wrong, but they can also love you. That explanation really didn't fly with her, but it's the truth of what this is saying. And that, and, and as I was reading the scripture, I, I, and that conversation came back to my mind, I saw, oh, how do children, this is how children think. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then he tells us what that means, because for for now, as immature people, as children, I see in a mirror dimly. He says, it's like I see in a mirror, but only dimly. I only see a little bit of myself. But then I see face to face. I, I only know in part. I just know a little bit of right now. But then I'm going to know just as I also am known. Children have a self-focused worldview. Um, immature people. Have a self-focused focused worldview, and that means that. How can I say it? Um, when we say, "But you know, I didn't mean it that way," that's what I'm talking about. Well, I didn't mean to say that, but you just took it that way. You took it the wrong way. No. They took it the way they took it, and when I am operating in love, I see the way other people see me because I can see through their eyes. Love allows me to see myself, is what the scripture's telling us here. I can see; I only know myself in part, but when I'm mature in love, then I then I know myself, even as other people also know me. So when I, if I'm always explaining to others. I didn't really mean it that way. That's not really what I meant. Well, what I meant to say was this. Well, I meant to do that. Then what the way I see myself is different than the way other people are seeing me because other people are seeing me as rude, as arrogant, as this or that, as uncaring. And then I say, no, 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 I really am caring. No, I really am. You took that the wrong way. How many of us have ever known somebody or been in that situation? No, I really, I really am. I, that's, not what, that's just not really what I meant. But when I am put on maturity in the love of God, that love that endures all things, that hopes all things, that believes all things, and this is why it can believe all things. This is why it can hope all things, because our natural mind can't do it. It's because when I can put away that childish, limited way of thinking, and I can put on the love way of thinking, and that is that the way you see me is your reality. When you say, I'm never going to do this again, that, that is your reality. When I can see through the love, I can see through love in my heart, into your heart and see Okay, this is the way you see me. I need to fix me. You say you're never going to do this again. Yes, I can believe you because I love you. Because I love and love allows me to see that. Verse 12, it says, I'm going to be known as others know me. Hallelujah, Jesus. A person who is filled with love can see through another person's eyes and see myself. I'm not somebody who just says, no, 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 that's not what I meant. That's something that I've had to actually see in myself. Is that if I'm throwing up that excuse all the time to people, then I have a problem with the way I see me. If, because obviously the way, what I view as my own motivations and intentions are not coming through to this other person. They're seeing something else. Do we see? They're seeing something else. Both of these things are the effect of love. We can put ourselves into another person's heart and feel what they feel, know how they view us. And, and that, what that means is that the things that we regard as trivial in our life are the little things that matter to those other people. So, when we look at his descriptions of love, that it doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up. It rejoices in truth, it does not rejoice in iniquity. That is puffed up when I say, when a person's feelings are hurt, when their feelings are hurt. And my response isn't, oh my gosh, you're hurt. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that it's puffed up when I say, oh, no, that's, not ju- that's just not the way I meant it. You got that all out of proportion. That puts that back on them as their problem. Their feelings are already hurt by me. I'm compounding the problem when I say, because I puff myself up and say, no, 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 that's not the way I meant it. When the truth is, it doesn't matter what I meant in my head. What matters is the spirit that it came out in. And if my first response is to be puffed up and be defensive, be on guard, push you back because your feelings are hurt, because you are hurt, then I'm not operating out of love. Whatever I said was probably not said in love because love would care that you were hurt. Love would care. Amen. Love is so powerful that Paul actually stops. So he's talking to the, you know, all the chapters that are put in are put in after the fact. Paul didn't write the chapters in there. Um, Paul is talking to a carnal church that's full of division in Corinthians. Full of division. He had to begin the whole letter to the church at Corinth, telling them, stop fighting amongst yourselves stop saying well I follow Paul I follow Apollos I'm better than you I've got this doctrine I've got that doctrine he had had to start the whole letter talking about that and then he had to go on and begin to teach them about spiritual gifts because they were using spiritual gifts for their own personal whatever make themselves feel better about themselves and so he had to stop his teaching in the of on spiritual gifts to give them this little aside and this is what he says so he was in uh, at the very end of chapter 12 we'll pick up right there and it says now you are the body of Christ and your members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And after that, miracles. These are all gifts that he's given to all of us. Miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers, or all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And there he's talking about the prophesying in tongues. Do all interpret? He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And then to lead into his teaching on love, he says, but I'm going to show you the more excellent way. And he goes on and he tells us the first thing in chapter 13 is that we can operate in the, in the gifts of the Spirit without love. We can. We can get up here. We can do the thing. We can bring in the presence of God. We can help somebody get out a demon. We can do anything that we need to do, we need to do if we connect with the Holy Ghost and not operate in love. We can. He says it. And he says, you should desire the best gifts. You should be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. You should be seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, and prophecies, and um, healing of the sick. You should see all that stuff happening. He said, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way to have the gifts of the Spirit operating in your church. And then he begins to teach on love. He's making one point. He says that If you really want to minister, you want the gifts of God flowing, you want the apostles, prophets, and teachers, you want signs, wonders, and miracles, we need each other, we need unity, we need love operating between us, and we also need to desire the very best gift of all, and that is the gift of love. And he begins to tell us that love is never self-seeking. It never parades miracles around. Now, that's what a lot of people will do. Is um, if I, if we, if you get a breakthrough, something I've never seen our pastor do, but I've seen other people do. Um, if you get a breakthrough in something, we celebrate your breakthrough with you. There's nobody who comes and takes credit for your breakthrough. There's nobody who comes up and says, Look, well I worked I worked all the signs one No, we wanna hear you tell your story of healing is what we wanna hear. We don't he said, but that's what they were doing there. They, were, they worked their miracles and they would get up and they'd parade themselves around. And he says, love doesn't parade itself. Love rejoices with another person because all of that is self-seeking. If I'm ministering for God, if I'm teaching a Sunday school class, if I'm worshiping on the worship team, if I'm playing an instrument, if I'm cleaning the bathrooms, if I'm doing anything, and it's so that you can look at me. If it's so that I can go home and know that I got one notch on my Holy Ghost belt and I'm, and I'm good to go. If I come to the prayer because I don't want to miss out on something awesome that's going to happen. If I come to the prayer, because, which, which can be a great secondary reason because awesome stuff happens in the prayer all the time. But if my real reason for coming to prayer is because I don't want to be, I don't want to be seen as the person who doesn't come to prayer. Or because I don't want to miss out on whatever pastor's teaching, or I don't want to show up on Sunday and not know what the anointing was on, and so I'm going to go in and get in the prayer and find out. If my motivation isn't love, oh, you know, in the business world, there's a there's a um, a phrase, return on investment, and if I don't get a return on my investment then I don't make the investment. And if the Bible tells me that if I invest all my time in these things, but at the end of it, it's nothing. Nothing. I've invested my life into something for me. For me. God, let's take the mask off and say it is it's for me. For me, because if I cared, if I cared, you would know I loved you. If I cared, you would know you were cared for. Love reaches out. And I began to see one of the main spirits that stops love. And it wasn't what I expected. And Sister Monica actually said it in prayer. Um... A week or so ago and it just jumped in my spirit and I and I began to keep praying on it and she said we just assume we assume and I was praying and I said oh my god assuming is about the most selfish self-centered arrogant high-minded thing that I can do to another human being is to assume Because even if I'm assuming the best about you, I don't actually care enough to take the time to find out what's going on with you. I assume. And a lot of times when I assume the best, it's so that I don't have to worry with anything bad that actually may be going on with you and then have that on me. I'm just gonna, I'm assuming the best. It's all okay. I assume the best. So just like this childish person that Paul's writing about, we don't see people through it love. We assume, now we build up walls against people to avoid getting hurt because we know that we can't love, we can't truly love unless we're open to be hurt, unless we're open to be disappointed. We can't truly love. And I'm going to show you that in Jesus in just a minute. But we assume that we know people. We assume we know that we know their motivations. We assume. In Mark chapter ten, verse thirty-two, we can see the how selfish being presumptuous, which is assuming, is selfish. Y'all, this is one of I just when I read it I my eyes rolled into the back of my head. But we can if we're honest, we'll see ourselves in it a lot of time. A lot. God, we'll see ourselves more in this more than we even want to see ourselves in it. Mark chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 32. Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed and they and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's that's a that's an eye-opening revelation for his followers that had loved him and followed him for two years. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So Jesus, Jesus, who loved them, had been giving his life for them, tells them the darkness in his future. I'm about to be tortured. I'm about to be spit on, I'm about to be humiliated, and I'm about to be killed. And they are so uncaring in their own self that they come up to Jesus and say, oh, that's nice, Jesus, but I just have one question, though. I just have one question. Can you just do whatever I want you to do? And I you can almost hear if you're just reading, you can almost hear the sigh before Jesus answered. Uh, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. And Jesus didn't say, Did you not just hear me? I'm about to be killed. You want to be on my right hand and my left hand? No, because they had an idea of who Jesus was going to be. They knew he was the Messiah. So they assumed. They actually didn't even pay attention to what he was saying. Because they assumed we're riding Jesus' coattails all the way up to rule the whole world because we know he's the Messiah, can you just do one thing whatever you said, Jesus, that was nice, but can you just do one thing for me when you get up there, when you're ruling the whole world i want I want to sit on this side and I want my brother to sit on this side. Is that okay? can we just can we just do that? They assume so selfish we see in this example, you can see how disgustingly selfish it is to assume that we know what someone else is going through. We look at people and we assume all the time. It is the most careless, careless act that we can do to another human being is to just assume without asking. We assume because, you know, we're thinking, I haven't seen this person in a while and I and I love them so much I need to go see about them no they're busy I'm sure they're busy I know this person had a death in their family and I just need to go I just need to call and check on no I'm sure they're with the family they're probably busy right now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that uh, you assume you assume because you, you don't know they may be at home alone Probably are home alone because everybody else in the church probably said no. They're they're go. They got people everywhere. People crawling in and out of their house. I'm I'm just I'm not gonna go right now. I'll just text. I'll just Facebook, you know, and tell them that they're okay. We assume. We assume. Oh God, help us. So he says, "What do you want me to do?" And, he, and they say, "Grant that we may sit on your one on your right hand and the other on your left in glory." And Jesus said unto them, "You." You don't even know what you're asking. Oh, but since you ask it, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And I just, you know, I have this picture, this movie playing out in my mind. I don't, and they're like, we're able, I can just see them like nudging each other like, yeah, we're able, we're able to do it. not still not even. He just said, you don't even know what you're asking, but are you able to t- drink from the cup that I'm a- the same cup that when he was Jesus himself was in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed that God take this cup from me. It was so great that even Jesus himself did not want to bear it. He said, if, if, are you able to drink of this cup that I'm going to drink of, be baptized in the baptism that I'm baptized with, oh, yes, we're able. And he says, oh, you're, you're going to drink the cup. Oh, and you're going to be baptized in the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right and my left hand is not mine to give. It says that when the ten heard it. Do you all ever read about the disciples and just wonder? If they, if these people... Could turn into the apostles. God really can't use any of us. And so instead of instead of all the other disciples hearing this conversation, and you know they could have been churchy and indignant, like Jesus just told us he was gonna die. You are, what are you thinking getting up there? Oh, you you ask for it, ask him for that cup now. They all get jealous and they envy. He says, and, and Jesus called himself and he said, he called them when they saw, he saw that they were all murmuring and complaining against each other. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great, whoever desires to sit at my right and my left, Will become your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus looked, he exemplified 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in this passage. He didn't see the disgusting, selfish, short sighted, uncaring, unloving. He told them he's going to die. They did not even blink an eye. He saw their heart that they did love him. They were selfish. They were this and they were that. They were what they were, but they were still worth loving. And he even spoke into them you you are going to do it you are going to drink this cup you are going to be baptized you are going to be great if you want to be great you're going to become the servant of all he began to speak into them and and raise them up into who he called them to be even in the midst of that thank you Jesus thank you Jesus hallelujah so we see here one thing and that is that arrogance and assuming go hand in hand and they and it blocks us from seeing the truth of love assumptions are always benefiting me always that's why I can't assume and also love someone and we know that if we're really honest because if i can make an assumption then i don't have to do extra work i don't have to exert the energy i don't have to care enough to to find out what's actually going on with you. So when we say, oh, they're too busy. Oh, I'm just going to bother them. You know, I'm just going to bother them. They really don't want to hear from me. They've got everything else going on. Um, Or, or with God, God really didn't meet my need like I wanted him to. So he, he's not going to come through for me in this. I'm going to have to figure it out myself. That prophecy God gave me didn't come to pass like I wanted it to come to pass. And so it must not going to be happening that way. Hmm. It must not going to be happening at all. Maybe it wasn't even a word from God. Maybe I really didn't even hear from God. We assume. We assume with God all the time. We assume we hear a word, and I assume I run after it. When I um, was young, and I felt called to the ministry, I assumed all the next steps of how to be in the ministry. I assumed, well, okay, I'm gonna, okay, I wanna, I wanna be a, a preacher. I'm gonna go to Bible college. That's what I'm gonna do. I went and I found my Bible college. Now I didn't ask the Holy Ghost what to do. I assumed. God put it in me, and and I assumed from there. I didn't ask Him what to do. I went to Bible college. To a, Bible colleges are expensive. I spent a lot of money in one year and dropped out. And that was when I I asked God, God, I do want to give my life to you. I do want to serve you. Where what do you want me to do? I move move back here to figure you know figure out my life, and. uh Tried to go to Bible college in California. That didn't, that wasn't God. So finally I said, God, what do you want me to do? Um, Is it just, am I not supposed to be in the ministry? Because I'm still assuming that if he wants me in the ministry, I've got to go to Bible college. And he said, no, I want you to sit in this school of ministry. I want you to sit under the people I put you under here at Freedom Ministries, at Faith Ministries at the time, and learn learn how to be a minister learn how to do what i've called you to do now i could have listened to god to begin with and saved myself several several thousand dollars but i assume we assume and then a lot of times we assume because and we and when it doesn't work out the way we assume it's going to work out we just assume it didn't it wasn't ever god to begin with assume assumption is actually not caring at all and assumings all that we can do unless we ask unless I ask I'm a, if I'm afraid of an intimate relationship with God maybe it's because I'm afraid he's going to tell me something I really don't want to hear it's easier to assume if I'm a I'm afraid of an intimate relationship with another person, really showing them my heart and loving them with my heart on my sleeve because I don't want to be hurt because I'm afraid of being rejected. And so I put a wall up. And I just assume from a distance. I assume, hey, you're, you're good. You're good, right? You're good. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, a lot of times we assume with people that we're witnessing to because we look and we see, well, they're still smoking. And they're still drinking. They're still doing these things. And so I know there ain't no God in them. That's an assumption. Because obviously there's still judgmentalness in you. So So if it's in you and you're saved, then this that I'm dealing with is me, and I'm still saved too. We can't assume. I can't look at anybody else and make an assumption unless I get in prayer and I hear from God or I love that person enough to build a relationship with them and ask and get in the middle of their life and say, I see that it looks like you may be going through a hard time. I'm coming to get in the middle of your hard time. You may not want me to be there. I really don't even care. I'm coming to get in the middle of your hard time and I'm gonna help you through it. Now we all, you know, because we're all private and we all um we're all arrogant too, we don't like to let people into our mess. You know, and so we put up we we probably push people away. No, 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 don't come in. My house is a mess. Don't come in, don't come in, don't come in. Sister Monica said, oh, I think it was Sister Monica, she said, um, she said, I want the she said, I I want the kind of friends that like if you come over, I don't want to clean up my house just so that you can come in. I said, oh, that's a really good friend. <laughs> I can count those on my like one hand. <laughs> that's a really good friend. But that's somebody that you have let in, that you've let in, and that you don't have a mask on around anymore because they lo- you love them, and they love you, and, and they don't, and you're not worried about what they think when they come in and see the mess. And so we go and we get in the middle of stuff. We go and we and we just love people. I was talking to someone that I was really reaching out to. They they had been a little while back and they hadn't been back again, and I was re- re- just kept on reaching out. And eventually they quit talking to me. I was like, okay, well, I'm really bugging them, so I'm gonna leave them alone. And I didn't talk to them for a couple of weeks, and the Holy Ghost convicted me, and I ignored him the first time, and I because I said, But God, look. At my phone calls and my text messages that all went unanswered, so they don't want to talk to me. And he said, "Mm, you call them back." And so I, I called them back. I texted actually that time, and I just said, "Hey, you know, um, just want to check in and see how you're doing." Oh, I'm, 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 I'm. That time they responded. I'm, I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for asking. It really means a lot that you even remember me, and. I said, oh, of course I remember you. I've just been so worried that I'm bothering you. Just was honest. Just worried I'm bothering you. No, you're never bothering me. Please don't stop. I made an assumption. By all appearances, a valid assumption. Because they quit talking to me. But it was an assumption. Because God didn't tell me to quit. God told me to love. And love... Well, get up in the middle of that, and love will go out after that person. love should have, instead of, instead of assuming they don't want to talk to me, love should have gone and knocked on their door and found them and found out what was going on. And so I learned that's how we love. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Love demands openness to be hurt and be disappointed, this is the cup that Jesus drank from. It's not an easy thing to do because even Jesus struggled with that. That level of, of putting yourself out there to be abused, putting yourself out there to be hurt, putting yourself out there to be mocked, putting yourself out there to people who act like right now like they really don't even care what you're doing for them. That is the cup that he drank from, and that's the cup that he said that everyone who wants a place in his kingdom is going to drink from with him. That's the baptism that he was baptized into of totally laying his life down, of not having a guard up and saying, well, I'm going to pour out love, but I'm not going to let you in. We do that a lot of times in the church when I pour out love, but no, love is I could be get hurt by you. I could be rejected by you. I could be disappointed by you but I'm going to love any way. The call is the same. That we must be willing to shine that light on ourselves to see the way other people see us, to see the real honest motivation behind who I am and what I'm doing for God? Is it but is it out of this kind of love, the cup that Jesus drank from that was sacrificing himself, this kind of love that poured himself out over and over and over again to a group of people who didn't get it, who kept believing in them over and over and over again until they finally began to measure up to who God knew that they could be, who kept on keeping on, who never failed and who never gave up on them. That's what Paul is saying. He says you can have the miracles. You can have the presence. You can have the wonderful music. There are churches everywhere who do it. And you come in and you can feel the anointing and you can feel the blessing and you can go home. You can. But there's another place to press into. Uh, Dr. Cerullo says we press past that point of blessing and into the realm of power. And and that's what Paul is saying. He says you can have all that, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. There's a more excellent excellent way that it's not just a blessing. It's not just a healing. It's not just a little thing that happens. It's a power that changes me as it's changing you. It's a power that changes another person. It's a power that's so great that it's not just a, a little doodad or a little goose bump or a little bit of feeling or maybe we get to fall out and we feel like we really did something for God. It's a power that is infectious, that gets into people, that gets involved in their lives, It's something that doesn't end when I get up from the altar. It's something that doesn't end when I leave the church. It's something that doesn't end in a morning devotion. It's something that when I'm at Walmart and I see somebody and I hadn't even taken a shower today, but I still feel compelled. Go get that person. Go love that person. It's one that when I'm having time with my kids and my phone rings and I say I'd really rather be doing something else, but I need to show love. This person is hurting and I need to do something about it. It's the cup that Jesus drank from. It's the power to perform the miracles. It's the more excellent way to have the power of God working in your life. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossing.com.